0: Let me tell you about Swagoo and Perk, an ESPN podcast led by its namesake hosts, Marcus Spears, Swagoo, and Kendrick Perkins. Perk, with new episodes every Tuesday morning, Spears and Perkins will bring listeners the latest NBA and NFL news, as well as a look inside their lives, career journey with can't miss conversations. That's Swaggoo and Perk. Listen wherever you get your podcasts and also available on ESPN's YouTube channel. Welcome back to another Adam Schefter podcast. And on today's podcast, we are going to bring the stories of two incredible men that provide inspiration, hope, and perspective. One is Eric LeGrand, the former defensive tackle from Rutgers. And the other is former NFL wide receiver Vernon Turner, whose life story is about to be turned into a movie. As for Eric LeGrand, as we mentioned, Former defensive tackle turned entrepreneur, LeGrand's life changed forever in October of 2010 after sustaining a spinal cord injury that left him paralyzed from the neck down. He does not let the injury define him. LeGrand has since published a memoir. He's created the Team LeGrand Foundation, which has raised over $2 million for spinal cord research. And he's now channeling his incredible spirit into his business, LeGrand Coffee House, a brand new coffee house. He's opened up in New Jersey that's thriving already, producing his own coffee beans, doing great work. And he also is a whiskey company that's going to be producing its own whiskey that's coming out here in the near future. LeGrand has continued to defy all odds and he always will. As for Vernon Turner, he basically rose from being a five foot six high school quarterback to make it to the NFL and now Hollywood. Uh, is turning his life story into an upcoming movie. And in this interview today, Turner will get candid sharing explicit details about his early childhood, his relationship with his mother, and how the adversity he faced early in his life served as a catalyst for his NFL career. He touched the lives of many after sharing his life story through a player's tribune piece called A Letter to My Younger Self. And his book, The Next Level, A Game I Had to Play, including some household names like Ciara, Russell Wilson, Dwayne Wade, Gabrielle Union. They're involved in the filmmaking process for his new movie, and the name of the movie embodies Vernon Turner's spirit, and it's going to be called Relentless. Now, before we get into our interview, I want to quickly warn everyone that some of the content in Turner's interview contains triggering information that may be upsetting to some audiences. Listener discretion is advised, but the stories from Legrand and Turner are worth your time and worth listening to. We will start today with Eric Legrand. Eric, my friend, it is great to see you. Great to see you as well, Shafi. A couple of weeks ago, I'm sitting in front of the TV. to Saturday morning. I'm watching the local news. And they have a woman out at a new coffee shop in New Jersey. Legrand Coffee House. And I said, holy moly. My friend Eric is opening a coffee house. That is awesome. So I looked down and I saw that not many people had noticed what you had tweeted or what the coffee house had tweeted. And I said, I'm going to take it upon myself to do what I can to give that coffee house its first shot of caffeine. (laughs) So we
1: did a little tweet about it and it went crazy. It blew up. It was all over the place. You should have seen my, my marketing director came over to me that day. He was like, Eric, look, look, look. Adam just retweeted, and it just keeps on going and going and going. It,
0: it was, it, it, honestly, that gave me tremendous pride to, to do that and to see that you have accomplished all that you have. In
1: addition, it's not only the coffee shop. You're also working on your own brand of whiskey, is it? Yes, I am. I got my own whiskey coming out this fall. You know I don't stop, Adam. Come on now. So tell me about the coffee shop and tell me about the whiskey. How does this happen? So during the pandemic 2020, everyone was at each other's throats, as you know. And I'm trying to figure out how can I bring people together? Like what is like what brings people together in a community? And I'm like, well, what do people want and what do they need? I said, ah, coffee. So I said, let me try my first cup of coffee in August of 2020. Never had a cup of coffee before that. And I tried it. and I was like, whoa, this is actually some pretty good stuff. So I went and I hired a business advisor, learned all about the business, learned the ups and downs of the business. I launched our online store in January 2021 and built all the way up the brick and mortar till we opened up on May 14th of this uh, this past month. And here we are now with LaGrande Coffee House nationwide. Nationwide. Yeah, we've been selling. We've been selling our coffee on through our e-commerce for a year and a half, and we've sold to all 50 states already. And it's doing well. It is doing very well. It's doing very well. But now we got the brick and mortar to invite people, too. So we're happy about that. So what's it like having a coffee house? Like, do you go
0: there every day? What's the vibe there? What's the deal, Eric?
1: Yeah, I go there. I'm pretty much there every afternoon, you know, most of the time, just checking in, interacting with our customers. Now we've been open for three weeks, so we're getting, getting a little flow of things. We're starting to get our regulars and whatnot. So it's been it's been a lot of fun. I'm getting to know everyone's name and the community and just all the things that they like to enjoy about the coffee world. What gave you an interest in coffee? I just felt, you know, because people really like it, they enjoy it, and it gives, brings people together. So I'm saying, when you come to New Jersey, I want Le Grand Coffee House to be a destination that you meet up with an old friend that you haven't seen in years. That you say, you know what, I got to get on the train coming from New York City and hop right off the train in Woodbridge and get a, a cup of coffee just to support the business. We made a fully ADA accessible, so we welcome all types of people with disabilities or abilities who can come and be comfortable at La Grand Coffee House. And also, they had great coffee. I'm not going to give you no dirt water now. <laughs> Well, Eric, you you mentioned you made
0: it accessible to people with disabilities. Mm -hmm. How often do you, in your position,
1: encounter
0: a place, a coffee house, a restaurant, a shop that is not like
1: that? Unfortunately, way too many times, Adam. And it's something that I really try to hone in on and make sure that we paid attention to that. Just the ability to get up and down the aisles, not having to inconvenience people to get up out of that chair because there's not enough space for you to get by. I'm in a big power wheelchair with myself in the chair it's over 700 pounds, it's wide, it's big. So I wanted to make sure that somebody could drive right in, drive right up to the counter, there could still be tables in the middle and you could still go around the entire coffee shop without having to ask somebody, oh, can you push in your seat? Can you move this table? Oh, can I, can, I just gotta get by real fast. Like, no, we wanted to make it fully wide enough accessible so people could just feel comfortable in any type of wheelchair, any type of crutches or a cane, whatever it is. Now, did I hear you say your wheelchair is 700 pounds? My wheelchair is, with me in it is 705 pounds. And wow. Yes. Yeah, yeah, so, you know, I'm not as much as I was when I was in my playing days, but, you know, being around that 245, 250 mark, and then plus this wheelchair over 400 pounds, it's a lot of weight. Wow. That's unbelievable. Yeah, it's pretty. I call it my Ferrari, man. This thing is definitely all souped up. <laughs> <laughs> like, how is that? It's just the technology nowadays, Adam. You know, I can. The accessibility I have in my house, I can get up and down my elevator by myself by just lining up my, my chair right by this little button that's on the, on the elevator, and I can use the infrared system where I use through my joystick right here, and I literally can open the door, get in the elevator, go downstairs, out the back door, all throughout my house. I can raise my chair up, bring my chair back down, kick my feet up, lay back. It just does so many things.
0: Wow. How often do you think back to that day in October 2010 when you broke your C3 and C4 vertebrae? leaving you in this wheelchair?
1: I think about it every single day of my life. It comes to my mind throughout the day. Just, you know, even when I start my day every morning, when you wake up and you don't have the ability to get up and take care of yourself, you know, you have your nurses that come in and have to help you go through a two and a half hour process every morning just to be able to get into my wheelchair and get my day going. So it crosses my mind every day. And I always say, you know, everything in life truly does happen for a reason. So I don't get upset with this situation. I kind of just... Now I have adjusted. It's been 11 and a half years. And yeah, this is my life now. But hey, I'm going to make the best of it.
0: What do you remember about that day, Eric?
1: Oh, I remember everything until I got to pretty much into the ambulance. I remember going down the field, tied the game up in the fourth quarter, five minutes left, and making a hit, putting my head down, thinking it wasn't going to be an tackle at all. My teammate tripped the guy up at Michael Brown's body, twirled in the air, so the trajectory changed on where, how I was going to hit him. My crown of my head went right into the back of his shoulder blade. Laying on the ground, can't move, can't breathe. My coach is telling me to pray, Coach Greg Shiano. Then I'm getting carted off. i try trying to give a thumbs up to the crowd. Can't give the thumbs up. And I remember getting in the ambulance, and they put an oxygen mask on me. And I was ignorant to the fact of what an oxygen mask does for you. So I'm thinking I was going to be able to take the deep inhale and exhale. And I wasn't able to do that. And then I blacked out. How close do you come to dying? I mean, I, I'm, I'm just very fortunate that I got hurt where I did where I had medical assistance right away because I got carted off that field in seven minutes. At, at if they didn't have me off that field in seven minutes, I probably would not be here right now because I was not able to breathe on my own.
0: So after you black out and awaken, what's the message you're given at that time and what goes through your mind?
1: Well, actually, my mom, I remember, just can't. Well, when I first woke up, I was, my room was filled with jerseys from all over from college football, NFL teams, signed jerseys, balls, helmets—anything you can think of. Letters. Really? Were. So, so like, so you black out, and the next thing you wake up, and all this, so you must have been blacked out for a long time. You know, I was out. And it happened on a Saturday, and I don't remember really much until Wednesday. I was in and out because highly medicated from the surgery and all that. When I woke up on Wednesday, and I was fully you know, aware of what was going on. My mom and family had decorated my room with all the stuff that had been coming in daily, daily. You know, so. It was pretty cool to see, but I remember my mom saying to me, Eric, let me know when you want to have the conversation. And I said, okay. And I just kind of like took it in. And I was kind of enjoying, you know, all the visitors coming to see me, but I knew something obviously was up. And then finally about two weeks after the injury, my mom and I talked about what had happened. And I said, you know what? It's time to grind. The only way I know how to fight is just is to keep on pushing forward, keep my faith high and staying strong. I always had obstacles against me. So you did not know your fate. Until two weeks after the injury was sustained, is that accurate? Pretty much, yeah. I, I like, I knew, I knew something was up. I'm on a ventilator. I can't move. I got tubes coming at me every which way. I'm in a neck brace, so I knew something was up. But I didn't know the extent of my injury. but I fractured my C3, C4 vertebrae, and what the doctors had told my mom: never walk again, never breathe on his own, never eat solid foods, and then you were hoping I was strong enough to make it through the surgery. So what are those things are you doing today? You're breathing on your own? I, I came off the ventilator five weeks after my injury. I was breathing on my own. Uh, Eating I had the, solid foods? He came off, came off the, those feeding tubes, uh, I want to say a month into my injury, a month and a half. And I was able to eat a full Thanksgiving meal with my family. And I got hurt on October 16th. Then I started moving my shoulders in a full range of motion back in my neck. So I get twitches in my fingers and my toes every now and then. So it's, you know, it's, it's, it's happening slowly, but. I still keep the faith and keep, out, keep my body ready for what we do find that cure. You're going to walk one day. I truly believe it. I truly believe that I'm going to go back to MetLife Stadium, lay back down on that 25-yard line, get up and run, walk, crawl, whatever I can do. But my goal is to finish that last play. Do
0: you have visions of that on, 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 on any kind of regular basis, Eric?
1: I do, and it's funny. When I dream, Adam, I'm not in a wheelchair. Never in a wheelchair when I dream. I'm always up and walking. I Sometimes I have limitations like I'll, I'll walk up to a stairs and say can I walk up these stairs right now or can I throw this ball can I catch this ball but I'm never in a wheelchair in my dream which is it kind of is an amazing feeling but also very weird at the same time
0: what's that like what do you ever wake up and think like I should be walking like because I've had many vivid dreams like that too and they're they're so real
1: right it's, it's, it feels so real and then obviously you wake up and you come back to reality of what you know, the extent of your injury is, but it's still I enjoy those dreams because it's just like you're living freely, doing whatever you want to do and just being able to control your body again. It feels great. So I I don't wake up disappointed. I kind of just back to reality, but it's a good place that you look, kind of look forward to those dreams.
0: Do you feel sorry for yourself ever? Do you allow yourself to get there or are you too upbeat, optimistic, and determined to allow yourself to even go there?
1: Yeah, there's no feeling bad for myself. I've never my entire life felt bad for myself on anything that I've, that really? I've done or, yeah, where I got down on. I mean, this injury, yes, it happened to me, but I know my situation, where I am today, mm-hmm. millions of people would love to have this platform and be able to do what I do. To be able to have this conversation with you right now, You know, you kind of get a reminder of it and uh, just a daily affirmation of how blessed and how fortunate you are when you see other people's situations and how their life was flipped and turned upside down and they don't have anybody there supporting them so I don't take what I have for granted and I'm going to use all my resources as much as I can because I know so many people wish they could and I'm trying to give them that ray of hope knowing that if I'm out there doing it you guys can too just have the faith and just use whatever you have around you, all your support system and go out there and be the best you can be where does that positive outlook come from Eric I've been like this honestly my whole life I've always been that happy go lucky guy light up the room you know the life of the party getting everyone pumped up during the football games and, and in the locker room. And I said to myself when I got hurt, I said, Eric, you're 20 years old. God willing, you live many more years. I don't want to be miserable. I don't want to be upset. I don't like confrontation. I don't like to be down. Live your life still as who you are. And it's the best thing I did because I people all the time saying that, like, how are you so positive positive, optimistic? I'm like, What you see is what you get. I don't put on a front for anybody. I am who I am. This show is sponsored by
0: BetterHelp. We all carry around. You know, I have a friend, we have a mutual friend, right? Alan Brown, right? Who's in a wheelchair, who I was with the day that he had his accident. And he is the most remarkably upbeat, positive outlook kind of guy that you could ever want to talk to. And as I listen to you, you remind me of him. And I always think that he's going to walk. And that's why I think you're going to walk. Because they're making progress with him all the time. They're doing experimentation with him. And he now, what, can feel his fingertips, right? He yes. can move his fingers. Is that, that that was the latest experiment
1: yeah. that they had done with him recently? Alan, I call him the grandpa of the of the spinal cord injury. He got hurt all the way back in the 80s when there wasn't much research being done compared to where we are now. As you see him still pushing every day, going through the studies and getting getting things back even, you know, 40 years after an injury. And It's, it's pretty remarkable to see how far he's come along. And it just gives you hope and belief that we are doing the right thing. The research is happening. We just got to keep on funding it, raising the awareness, bringing people around it. Because one day we want to live a world like Christopher Reeves said, a wheel of empty wheelchairs. We're going to get there.
0: Every time there is an injury in football at any level, he texts me. What do we know? What do we know? He's always very concerned, looking out, wants to talk to people who are injured, wants to be, an inspiration. And again, I have so much respect for both of you guys for the way that you handle yourselves and the way you carry yourselves. It's, I, I tip my cap to you.
1: Thank you. I, I really appreciate that because I remember when I first was injured, Alan was re- reaching out right away through the Christopher Greek re- re- Foundation to my mom, my family. And back then, I didn't know who Alan was. And it was just, everyone was like, Eric, you got to talk to Alan. You got to talk to Alan. And finally, I got to meet him in person about a year later and, uh, at our Kessler Rehabilitation here in New Jersey. I met him, and he was just so outgoing and optimistic. I was like, who is this man? I'm like, like he's been living this life for such a long time, and look how he goes about his, his business. And I said, you know what? If he can go, go and endure everything that he's endured over these years, I have no excuse. So now, this whiskey business, yeah. where you can get the interest in doing the whiskey. So I've always said people always think people with disabilities, that they don't like the finer things in life, that they don't like to celebrate the successes. I'm like, you know what? I got to change the narrative here, I like especially in my 20s. I used to go out and have a great time with my friends. I partied with Allen down in Miami too many nights. And, you know, we have a good time. So I like to say, you know, whiskey is a nice drink of celebration, you know, just the successes in life. And we're also going to be able to donate a portion of the proceeds that we are making, to. Christopher and Dana Reed Foundation. So it's going to be a huge success, I believe. And like I didn't notice until I announced it, there's a lot of people that like whiskey. So I'm excited for that. It's going to come out this fall.
0: What's it going to be called? When's it going to be available? Where's it going to be available? Tell it, give us a plug
1: to promote the whiskey, just like we promoted yeah. the coffee house. Absolutely. So it's going to be called Eric LeGrand Whiskey. We're going to do bourbon. We're going to hopefully release it first throughout the entire state of New Jersey, then tri state area, and then Hopefully throughout the entire country and then world. That's our plan and process as we continue to grow. But I want people to get excited for the fall. soon as that temperature starts to drop a little bit, the whiskey is going to come warm you up <laughs> nice and good for you. So get ready for Eric LeGrand whiskey coming this fall.
0: So let me get this straight. Let me get this straight. Eric LeGrand, injured in October of 2010, now has the LeGrand Coffee House. He now has got Eric LeGrand whiskey
1: coming out. What else is going to be left there for you to do here in the future, Eric? <laughs> Oh, man, the sky is the limit. And when my mind gets on something and I got the resources around me and the right people around me, I don't stop. And, you know, I'm continuing to still raise funds for Team Legrand and the Christopher Dana Reed Foundation. We just have had at, at our biggest uh, event that we have our 5K every year at our 12th annual one. I'm proud to say we've raised over $2 million for spinal cord injury research since our inception in 2013. Continue to grow our foundation, my speaking engagements, and who knows what might pop up on the horizon next. I might be, Doing a podcast just like you. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, I'd love to see. You're the man with that.
0: What message do you give to people out there who are struggling in life, who are unhappy with whatever it is, who are battling something, because we all do. What message do you give them of hope with you being truly the inspirational figure that you are, Eric?
1: I always try to tell people, focus on the good things in your life. Be more appreciative. In life, don't focus on the things that you don't have. You know, be happy for all the blessings that are in your life, because if you see not everyone is as fortunate as you are and you can go out there and still live a more grateful life like that, because no matter how bad your situation may be, there's always someone that has it worse. What's that one thing that makes you happy every day that you do to
0: kind of help your mental health?
1: So a lot of people don't realize I am a night owl, so I will throw on Netflix, Hulu, Amazon Prime at like 12 o'clock at night. I gotta wind down watching a TV series. I I probably watch pretty much everything, especially during the pandemic. But at night, once everything is just like quiet, I love to just sit back, throw on a TV show, and it just takes my mind away from everything that's going on. And I just start indulging in that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Eric, congratulations on the Grand Coffee House.
0: Good luck with Eric Legrand whiskey you know we're always pulling for you you know we're always
1: watching for you and i'm happy to see you crushing it the way that you always do i appreciate you having me on adam it truly means a lot and thank you for your support you have no idea what that retweet does. it went over a million impressions So that was pretty cool to see you're the man eric i appreciate you my friend hopefully our paths cross soon absolutely
0: From one inspirational story to another, from Eric LeGrand to Vernon Turner, whose life story is about to be turned into a movie called Relentless. Vernon, thank you very much for joining us. Appreciate it. I want to know how I can get a life story like yours written by Brad Gann, who wrote The Invincibles, to tell a story like yours. How does all this happen, Vernon?
3: It all started when I wrote my autobiography, uh, the next level of game I had to play. And it took me many years to get the the courage to do it. Um, In fact, it was The Blind Side, We Are Marshall, Rudy, Invincible. It took all of those stories for me to gain the courage to actually in 2010 write my autobiography. And it got into the right hands, got into Derek Jeter's hands, actually. And Derek Jeter took it over. And the next thing you know, I wrote a letter to my younger self, my 15-year-old self. And the uh, interviewer asked me one question, asked me a couple of questions. If you had to go back in time, where would that be? And what would you say to that younger self? And the only thing I thought about was what I did at age 15 that haunts me to this day, you know, wishing my mother dead. And And I wrote about it.
0: So you wrote about your mom when you were 15. And what did you write? Well... I told
3: myself, you know, to back up a little bit, my relationship with my mom was pretty strained. It was uh, contentious at best. And it was all had to do with the fact that I thought my mom did not like me. I, I didn't think she liked me at all. It'd be times, Adam, she would look at me and she would be looking through me and it with such cold eyes. And I did not know why she kept doing that. Mm-hmm. Until I age eleven, I came home from school one day. I dropped my books on the table, went to the bathroom. My mom was in the bathroom. Now, my mom was heavy on the drugs. She was prostituting. She was. She was. She was doing the whole nine yards. She spiraled down for, and I did not know why until I found out that day. And she had the needle in her arm. And I tell you, it was it was something that. Uh, It was tough. It really was because I yelled at her, like, why why are you doing this to yourself? And she told me, so I don't think about it. So I'll forget. And then she proceeded to tell me what happened to her uh, at age 18. She got uh, from band practice. Two guys grabbed her, took up on the top of a roof, third man waiting, and they brutally assaulted her. They raped her. They were going to throw her off that roof. And uh, they didn't. They heard someone coming. And they threw her to the ground. A couple of weeks later, she finds out she's pregnant. And I found out at age 11 that I was a walking, talking, visual reminder. Every day, every time my mom looked at me, I reminded her of what happened to her. And that's the reason why. My mom never abused me, she never did anything. In fact, she probably the one, one of the most strongest human beings I've ever had the pleasure of calling mom um, with everything that she's gone through. And, uh, but that, that's what started it all in regards to my, my relationship with my mom. And it was, it was a tough deal. I was (laughs) my people. If if I didn't live it, Adam, Mm -hmm. I wouldn't believe my story. I would think it was fictitious. I swear to
0: God. Your mother gets assaulted. She gets impregnated. She gives birth to you. You are a reminder of the worst day of her life and her perpetrators. Simple as that. Yeah.
3: And the thing of it is, is that even with all of that, she, she kept me. I don't know. understand why that woman didn't abort me or give me up for adoption, but she did keep me. And for, until that time, from age 11, until I went off to college, I was trash. I felt like trash. I wouldn't look at myself in the mirror until I went off to college. I really would not look at myself in the mirror. I was garbage as far as I was concerned. And um, I found an outlet it was football. And the way I found that was that, and again, you would not believe this if, if, I, didn't, if I didn't live it. My mom was, again, she was out there prostituting. I was living, my, my, myself and my brother, we were living in, in Brooklyn, New York, Beverly in Brooklyn with my, with my grandmother. My mom was out there doing her thing out in the streets. She meets a John, my stepdad, Sam, full-fledged Italian, falls in love, abruptly moves myself and my brother from Bethesda in Brooklyn to Staten Island, New York, okay? I already had resentment. Uh, That was my first time interacting with white people. And from what I was told and from what I experienced, it was tough back then, back in the 70s. It was really difficult as far as the, you think it's bad now or it's difficult now. It was really bad back in the early 70s. And I had some, time, I had some issues over there in Staten Island. And I kept my, 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 my stepdad. I don't even like to say my stepdad. Okay. I, kept, I kept my dad at bay. Yes. I kept him at bay. And um, it wasn't until my – he was a diehard Jets fan. That's the reason why I wear my Jets hat right now. <laughs> because It's in honor of that guy. Wow. He, he, that, wow. That's my dude. And uh, But at that time, he wasn't. He wasn't. And my mom forced me. He was a diehard Jets fan at season tickets. My mom forced me to go to a game with him. It was a preseason game against the Chicago Bears. And it was Walter Sweetness Payton. And that's when I fell in love with the game because he
0: played the way I felt. Well, that's what I want to know. How does somebody with your upbringing, your background, somebody who comes to think of himself to use your phrase as trash throughout his childhood, go on to become an undrafted free agent who plays eight years professionally, six in the NFL and two in NFL Europe. How does that happen, Vernon?
3: Adam, I'm telling you, man, it's it's something that I don't understand. It the 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 big guy up there has a different plan, has a, had a different plan for me. Because at age 15, when my mom really upset me and tried to take football away from me that's when i ran to my room got on my knees and i prayed that she would die and 72 hours later she passed wow so i thought that i murdered my mother okay i thought i killed my mother and it took about 4 or 5 months <clears throat> i was going inside the medicine cabinet i was i was about to take myself out with pills i was i was in that state and again i didn't it wasn't me, man. It was, it was, it was that guy up there because I should not be here. I should not be here. He has a different plan, had a different plan and still have a different plan for me. And I pulled off a friggin' miracle, a miracle because I had no business playing professional anything. I was not that good of a football player, but I knew that when my mom passed, when I was 15, my dad passed when I was a freshman in college Asked my aunt to move into my home until I finished school. Started my senior year after I received a phone call from my aunt. She said, I, I can't do it anymore, baby. We're going to have to split the kids apart. Mm-hmm. And in that bathroom, that very bathroom, when I found out how I was conceived, my mom made me promise to keep my brothers and sisters together. We all stay together no matter what. So I, I said, sat, I swear to God, I sat on the side of my dorm room bed. And I said, what is the one thing? that that you would put your heart and soul into, and you would die trying. And it was only one thing, Adam, it was football. So anyone that came across me to compete and they wasn't ready and willing to die, it was a wrap. I had them, but I didn't know. See, I I convinced myself, I played the Jedi mind trick with myself. I really did, I really faked and, and believed, I truly believed that I was good enough to play I had no choice because if I didn't make it, Adam, my brothers and sisters were going to foster care. I was, it was, it was, it was just that simple. So I literally I put myself through regiments, training regiments, that I wouldn't, I wouldn't offer tell my my worst enemies to do. I, I put my you gotta understand, <clears throat> I came from a small school, Carson Lee College, small school in Tennessee. I was a, I was an under underweight running back. Okay, and then when I decided to play pro, I had to learn two positions I've never played before. I had to learn how to play wide receiver and return specialist. Mm -hmm. Didn't play those positions before. And I'm going to play it at the elite level. Think about it at the elite level. I'm telling you, I pulled when this film comes out. God, God willing, when this film comes out and people see Brad Gann did such an incredible job depicting my story. And on script. When does the film come out, Vern? We're still in pre-production right now. Okay. And in fact, I just finished a segment uh, with the NFL Films. They're doing a, a mini feature on me. Okay. And that's going to air in September. And um, I'm pretty nervous about that because that was a tough that was a tough film
0: for me. Yeah. You know, Did they use you as a consultant or to play any roles or to do anything with this film? You talking about what the NFL feature or the? No, no, no. I'm talking about the movie. Oh, Relentless. Well, right now,
3: again, we're still in pre-production. We have our uh, our production team: Gabriel Union, Sierra, Dwayne Wade, um, Russell Wilson. They're all my producing partners, and we wow. are. Yeah the the pandemic really set us back. Yeah. And now we're starting to slowly roll again, and the heat is starting to come back on my on my life
0: journey. Um, so the n- the name of the movie though will be is expected relentless. to be relentless. Yes. Because you are relentless, Vernon. <laughs> well,
3: you know, I, I'm in a position now, Adam, that I can honestly pay it forward. I still have some tools inside my pocket that was placed for on in me, in my pockets, from God and my mom and my dad. And I want to leave here with empty pockets, if that makes any sense, man. I want to stand before my maker and say, hey, I utilized all the tools that you gave me I have nothing left to give. My, my, my pockets are empty. And for me to, if I was selfish, there's no way in hell I can do this story. I, there's no way I can share my journey the way I'm sharing it. But it's not about me, Adam. It's way above me, man. I gotta pay this thing forward. What's,
0: what's left in those pockets to empty, Vernon?
3: Well, you know, there's a lot of people out there that are at a crossroad. And they, are, they just don't know what to do. And they're in similar circumstances that I was in. Even today, I'm I'm broken inside. My heart is broken. Still, wow. Still. Okay? You know, I've done many, many interviews, many uh, speaking engagements. And you would think it would get easy to share my journey, Adam. It, yeah. it, it, it's almost like it gets harder. When I did the segment, when I did the filming for the NFL films of this feature two weeks ago, back home in New York, it was one of the hardest things I've ever had to do. Because reliving that, knowing what happened, knowing the sacrifices that my mom made, knowing the incredible man my dad was, you got to think about it—a full fledged Italian back in the '70s taking a prostitute, drug addict, and two
0: kids, and then he ended up—we ended up having three more kids. And he's a I'm white not- guy. He's a white guy. So he's full-fledged a full wh- fledged Italian. Right. Okay. Well, that's why I want to make sure. You know, I'm yes. not that swift. Okay. So yes. we got a white guy raising a black guy. Yeah
3: two black guys and it was my it was my brother it was my brother myself at a then, time at a time where that's not really the way it is today no no yeah. not at all the thing of it is is that it wasn't long when we i had two three more brothers and sisters inside of five years i'm the oldest of five i was braiding hair cooking dinner changing da- diapers caregiving at age nine because my mom she struggled with the drugs she struggled. I had to take care of her too. You know, I had to pack up my brothers and sisters and go to practice in high school.
0: You know, it was like that. That was my normal world. So you talked about emptying your pockets. And I'll tell you what, when the movie comes out, when we go into production, when it's hitting the big screen, we're going to get you back on to do another segment, Vernon. But when you're emptying these pockets, what is the message you would have today for all the people out there Who are trying to overcome adversity in their own ways? Everybody is going through something. Everybody's got something, right? My wife always said, Everybody's got something. What's a piece of advice that people can hang on from the great Vernon Turner that helped you get through? And you're not a big guy either, if I'm not mistaken, right? Aren't you like my size? Five, nine, a hundred. There you go. Okay, so there we go. So how does a five-nine guy? who was thought of as trash, who's an undrafted go on to play eight professional seasons in football and have the life that you have led Vernon. You know, Adam, I thought, I think about that all the time. You know, what
3: message am I leaving? What, what's my end result? What's my end game? And uh, at the end of the day, I wrote a, I wrote two more books. Uh, I wrote a self-help book and I wrote a children's book, but my self-help book is called beyond the limits. Finding my purpose It's not released yet. And I wanted to all the components that 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 helped me persevere and push myself. I wanted to focus on those those components and get in detail on those. And the one thing I realized, I pushed myself beyond what I thought my limits were. And that's the thing what people, when people think that they are at their limit, they're not at their limit. Hmm. They need to find a way to continue to push and push and push. And and, and only thing I can tell you, the, the name Relentless, the title Relentless for my future biopic is fitting. I can say it's fitting. I'm not, again, I don't think much of myself, man. I really don't. Even to this day, I don't because I still got more to do. But all I do know is, is that I don't quit. I never quit. I don't care what it is. It's something in me that will never allow me to quit. And I always find myself, uh, find a way to push myself beyond my limits. Now, if I can do that, I know every, uh, a whole bunch of other people can do that. And then they will achieve what what their ultimate goal is. No matter, non-sports, it doesn't matter what it is. But my thing is, is that to have that no quit mentality. And even when you think you're done, trick yourself. I'm not done. Right. I, I got more. I got, I got more stuff in my pockets. I got more. And that's the message that I want to put again. I'm not much of anything, Adam. And it's such an honor to sit here and chop it up with you, man. Because it's of my, my honor. My I'm honor, a huge Barry. fan of yours, man. Well, I guess and, what? I remember um, you as a
0: player. So I'm a fan, I've been a fan of yours longer than you've been a fan of mine.
3: <laughs> well, to, but to even hear those words come out of your mouth, man, you, you seriously, you are endeared
0: here. You're endeared, man. Well, and you're I love what here, you here, my do. friend. I appreciate that. And when Thank the movie you. comes out, when the movie comes out, we're bringing you back for another round on the podcast. Oh, to well, I want to I make sure that you're at the premiere at the,
3: at, at the film.
0: How about that? My schedule is free that night. We'll be there, Vernon. My man. My man. Okay. Thank you so much, Adam. I appreciate you, Vernon. Good luck with everything. And congratulations on everything that you've achieved. Thank you, my brother. Talk to you. So NFL Films is doing a profile on Vernon Turner. Obviously, he had the letter in a player's tribune, a letter to my younger self, where he documented some of this, where people first learned of his story. And I remembered Vernon Turner as a player, but had no idea of the backstory behind him and all that he had to overcome to get to where he is. And honestly, with everything going on in the world today, with the situation across the world, With the situation in our own country. Just thought it might be nice to hear two different stories from two different men whose unique insight and perspective could be welcomed and appreciated by anybody who had the fortune of getting to listen to their words and messages today. And so we thank both Eric LeGrand and Vernon Turner for delivering words of hope and words that pick you up and make you think. It's amazing that these guys have the attitudes they do, but they are impressive people, and we wish them all the best going forward. Now, as for some of the NFL news this week, the big story to me was the Denver Broncos being sold for $4.65 billion, with a B, billion dollars. Now, that's a team that I began covering in September of 1990 and covered them through August of 2004 and basically lived in that training facility. It was where I grew up. And to see a team that was really run by Pat Bolin and he brought along this franchise. And it's amazing to think about, right? When I went in there, I remember Pat Bolin bought the Denver Broncos in 1984 for $71 million. $71 million. And then some 38 years later, they sell for $4.65 billion. Pat, would enjoy that if you were alive today. Pat would get a kick out of that. He was a great man and he was a great businessman and he had this icy look to him. But there really was such a warmth to that guy. And I can't tell you the number of times that I'd be in that building late and he would invite me to his office and we'd sit around late in his office just talking about the team, his family, life in general. And I'm really happy for his family uh, that they get to see The fruits of really what he started back in 1984 with that $71 million purchase. And now the sale of that team, which doubled what the Carolina Panthers, went for a mere four years ago, now will pave the way for other franchises around the NFL to be sold. Because I can assure you that any NFL team with any NFL question is now looking around at the Denver Broncos and saying, well, if the Denver Broncos... When for $4.65 billion, what can we get for our franchise? And is it worth it to think about taking that money and moving on? And that's not going to be for everybody. We've heard Jerry Jones say he would never sell the Dallas Cowboys, but there will be some family-run franchises that might want to and think about taking a look at that. And we'll see how that impacts the league going forward. I also think it will not be easy to find hitters, buyers, like the Waltons where they can just write that check and it's no big deal. $4.65 billion. Sure. Why not? Easy. But there's no doubt that that transaction will have a large impact, not only on the sale of future NFL franchises, but maybe franchises all around sports. And it started with my friend, Pat Bowen, man who bought that team, incredible investment, $71 million. Think about that. What percentage? We'd all be so grateful if our investments appreciated at the same rate as the Denver Broncos from 1984 to 2022. All right, I want to thank Eric LeGrand, the great Eric LeGrand, for giving us some of his time this week. I want to thank Vernon Turner, the great Vernon Turner, for giving us some of his time this week. I want to thank my producer, Tina Buswell, Sarah Abbott, for helping me put this together and bring this to you. This week, and I want to thank you, the listener, for tuning into another Adam Schefter podcast. Please join us again next week when we are scheduled to be joined by the man who is expected to be the color analyst for this year's Super Bowl. Greg Olson, tight end, you is assembling in Nashville again, and Greg Olson will be here to talk about that and becoming the number one analyst at Fox, succeeding Troy Aikman, who comes to ESPN and stepping into some rather large shoes. But if anybody is up to it, Greg Olson will be. And he'll be here next week uh, to talk about his current situation. Until then, have a great week, everybody. Be well and stay safe.
2: Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore a seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't don't risk it click it or ticket paid for by NHTSA